0: Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Two weeks ago, we began a series called Blueprint for Worship. In the first week of the series, I talked about the initial investment that has to be made. Don't forget that. That's very important for what I need to share with you today. There's an initial investment that has to be made. Worship is going to cost you something like it cost Mary an expensive bottle of perfume that she poured out on the feet of Jesus. It costs King David in the Old Testament the price of the land that he would would buy. Which eventually, by the way, the temple would be built on that land. Last week we looked at how God is the architect of worship and he designed us like he designed Lucifer, the fallen angel. Like he designed Lucifer, we have musical instruments built within us so that we can worship him in spirit and in truth. Every one of you, you are designed with instruments built within you to worship him. He replaced the worship leader of heaven that rebelled against him with us. We are his creation. We are his worship leaders now. Amen? Today we're going to conclude this series with an in-depth look look at God's intentional and detailed structure for worship. I went back and I looked through my, my notes from 20 years ago. Where God enlightened me on this 20 years ago. And it changed my worship. It changed the way that I approach worshiping God. And I've only shared it a few times throughout the years, and and I felt like at the end of this series it would be appropriate for me to share this with you today, what God revealed to me all those many years ago. There's a difference between praise and worship. Praise is great, but according to Jesus in John chapter 4 and verse 24, Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Today, by the end of this this message, I hope that you understand what it means to worship him in spirit and in truth. I I promise you, I'm going to do my best to help you understand what that means. God wants our worship, not just our praise. I know for some of us, we hear that term, praise and worship, and we immediately think, oh, it's, well, it's the music that they play on church that we clap our hands to and we raise our hands to and we sing because they put the lyrics up on the screen. It's praise and worship. Or it's a, a genre of music that we, we, we you know, have our iTunes account linked to so that when we're in, in despair, we can you know, turn away from some of the other stuff that we listen to and we can focus on the praise and worship category of music. And so we look at it as a, as a genre of music and it's more than that and, and and god wants our worship not just our praise praise is when you talk about how great someone is to other people it would be like me saying wayne last night man my wife cooked spaghetti she did this is not a lie this is this is true story she cooked spaghetti last night wayne i had worked hard all day long it was a long day yesterday and i got home and and there was a a, a pot of spaghetti sauce on the on the the stove and it was amazing my wife makes amazing she is the best spaghetti maker the best what I've just done is I've just praised my wife I've talked about my wife to someone else but worship worship is when you go to that person and you begin pouring it out to them and I say Mandy girl your spaghetti is high and lifted up Its aroma fills the home. Mandy, there is no one else above you. When it comes to spaghetti, you are the supreme. You are the creator of spaghetti. It's a little extreme, right? But that's what worship is. Praise is telling someone else about how great God is. Worship is about telling God how great God is. Three of us understand it. And I'm afraid that we have too many Christians that are bragging about how great God is to others, but they're not expressing to God how great He is. And today I want to show you how we're going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, throughout the Old Testament, there are moments when God and humanity interact. And we know that, that Adam and Eve walked in the garden in the cool of the day with God and, and, and they were able to commune and fellowship with God before the fall separated them from God. We get that. We understand that. We've read about that. We know that, that their, their children, Cain and Abel, they brought their offerings to the Lord and God accepted Abel's but he did not accept Cain's. We know that, that Noah heard the voice of God And because of him hearing the voice of God, his family was spared from the destruction of the flood. We know that after leaving the ark, Noah built an altar to the Lord. And this is the first place where we actually read about an altar. But we know that that he built an altar to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord there. We know that the king of Salem, Melchizedek, who is a foreshadow of Christ, by the way, He taught Abram, later to become Abraham, he taught Abram how to worship the true and living God, get this, through communion, bread and wine. Thousands of years before Christ was born. And he taught him how to worship the true and living God through communion and through tithe. Oh, you don't even want me to get started on that today, right? Abraham would grow in his relationship with God through circumcision and through sacrifice. But it wasn't until the exodus out of Egypt that God releases to humanity the plans to build a structure that they would worship him in. Up until this moment, it was build an altar here, build an altar there, find God in this secluded place, and it was always individuals two, three at the most. But now God was leading them down a different path. He was giving them a blueprint. While Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments, and and not just the Ten Commandments, but the entire law of God, the Constitution for, for the nation of Israel, while Moses is receiving all of that from God on Mount Sinai, God was also giving him the plans of a tent structure that was going to be used to worship him. Don't leave me yet. Don't leave me yet. Stay with me. This is going to be so enlightening for you. Trust me on this. Humanity, by instinct, we are worshipers. We worship by instinct. It's just just what we do. The question is not will we worship. The question is always going to be what will we worship we naturally worship. We find something to be fascinated with. We we find something to lavish our attention on. We find something to adore because we are naturally worshipers. And not knowing how to worship God, while Moses is up on the mountain, the Israelites, they, they create a God to worship. Scripture tells us that they they took their jewelry and, and they began melting down their their gold and 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 they they built something that resembled one of the gods that they they saw in Egypt because that's all that they knew after living in Egypt for 430 years they knew what the egyptian gods looked like so they make this golden calf and we know the story of how moses comes down off the mountain out of out of just just frustration, he, he throws the stone tablets down and he has them completely destroy the golden calf. Then God allows Moses to introduce to Israel his preferred and accepted pattern of worship. There is a pattern of worship. And many times, we plan our services here at DCC with this in mind. It took them about seven and a half to eight months, uh, depending on how you interpret the scriptures, to construct the tabernacle in the wilderness. it was It was a tent structure. and and tabernacle it it means a place of meeting. it's a, it's a, the tent of meeting. You'll hear it referred to as the tent of meeting in in, in Uh, the book of Exodus and 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 this was the place where God would meet with his people for the next 400 to 600 years It's it's a little unclear exactly but four to 600 years. This is where God would meet with them It it, it stayed after they entered the promised land after they conquered Jericho and now they're beginning to advance into the promised land Uh, They eventually set up the the tabernacle at a place called Shiloh and it stayed there for 369 years When Mandy and I traveled to Israel, we were able to spend some time in Shiloh, and we actually got to see the place where where possibly they set the tabernacle up. In the wilderness, the tabernacle was erected at the center of the camp, and then all of, of the Israelites, according to their tribe, the 12 tribes, they would set up in sections around it. So the tabernacle was always in the middle of the camp. During the day, the presence of God hovered over the tabernacle as a cloud. At night, it it was in the form of a pillar of fire. And, And the tabernacle was portable so that when God moved, when that cloud moved or when that fire moved, they would pack up the entire tabernacle and their belongings and they would follow that cloud by day, that fire by night. And wherever it settled is where they would set up camp. And they would make sure that they put what is called the Holy of Holies. We'll get there in a moment. But they put the Holy of Holies underneath that cloud. Underneath that fire When it came time to build the tabernacle The first sanctuary God was very specific On what he wanted it to be made of Exodus chapter 25 I want to read verses 1 through 9 Exodus chapter 25 Verses 1 through 9 It says The Lord said to Moses Speak to the people of Israel That they may take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen goat's hairs, tanned ramskins, skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting For the ephod and for the the breast piece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture. So you shall make it. So God is very specific. I want to build a place where I can meet with my people. Moses you are to go down from this mountain and instruct them. And he gives him details on this. He gives him details down to the latches, the types of latches that they would use. We don't have time today to get into all of it, but he would go through all of the furnishings. And man, I wish I had a time. I did this on a Wednesday night series one time, and I explained all the furnishings. But, but he told him exactly what was going to be inside of this tabernacle. He, he, he told him to build a brazen altar. He told him to build a golden table of showbread. Uh, the the bronze laver for ceremonial washing and purification so that you could come to God with clean hands. Uh, A lampstand of pure gold. They would make curtains of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Curtains would be hung with gold and, and bronze clasps. There was a golden altar of incense, and they would make a chest of acacia wood, and then they would completely overlay it with gold inside and out, and, and, and it would have two golden angels on the lid of it, and this was what was the Ark of the Covenant, what Indiana Jones wanted to find so very badly. The inside decor of this tent was magnificent, and God did not spare any details He told them exactly what the furnishings were going to look like. Depending on what translation of the Bible that you're reading, Exodus chapter 26 and verse 14, it might say that the outer covering, the outer walls of this tabernacle were possibly badger skins, goat skins, dolphin skins, porpoise skins, seal skins, Sea cow skins, dugong skins, which is a type of manatee that was found in the Red Sea. Whichever one it was, like I said, depending on which translation you're reading, whichever one it was, it was not the most attractive covering that God could have chosen. I mean, if I'm God and I'm building my house, these walls are mink. At least some fine camel hair. For all of the glorious items on the inside, why did God choose a less than desirable animal skin for the outside? It, it, it would kind of like be putting you know, Italian marble in a dilapidated shack. Or, or maybe like luxury curtains in an old travel trailer. It just doesn't make sense for the inner contents of this to be so costly. Why wouldn't you put a little bit more into the outer skin? Why would God go all out on the interior but not make the exterior appealing to the eye? And as we are about to see, we're the tabernacle of God. And if we're honest with each other, this is a comparable description of us. The world looks at us sometimes like we're crazy. You know, there were people that flat out said to our faces that they would never come worship at the middle school with us because we were in a cafeteria. And they just, they couldn't see that as a church. It didn't make sense to them. Why are you in, why are you worshiping God in such a common place? that sometimes there were chicken nuggets on the floor. <laughs> People that don't understand the faith, the hope, and the love that we have through Christ Jesus, and they, they, they look at us driving by, and they look at us, and they, they don't understand what's happening right here and what we feel. It doesn't make sense. From the outside, it, it, it just doesn't look that great. There are people that, that look at you and judge you from what they see. Maybe they see someone that has a history of being irresponsible, or they see someone that, that simply just can't catch a break, or, or they see someone that's second class, or they see all of your mistakes and all of your mishaps from the past, and so they look at you and they see the, the outer covering and you don't look like much. But we might not be much to look at from the outside, but but those of us that have God inside of us, the inside of us is glorious because of the presence of God. You might look at me and you might think, man, you're a rough-looking character. But man, if you could see what God has done on the inside of me. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16, which by the way, I believe is the second greatest 316 in the Bible. Paul said, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You are God's temple. The temple took the place of the tabernacle. And Satan focuses on the old animal skins when he looks at you. Revelation chapter 12 refers to Satan as the accuser of the brethren. That when he looks at your life, he's looking at the outer skin and all of your mistakes and everything that's happened against your life. And and, and he has kept score against you. and, And to the untrained eye, you don't look like much. And so he starts accusing you. He's the accuser of the brethren. Satan looks at you from the outside in, accusing and abusing, but God looks at you from the inside out restoring to the core 1 Samuel 16 and 7 says but the Lord said to Samuel don't judge by his appearance or height for I've rejected him the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them people judge by outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart man I'm so thankful God looks at my heart when the accuser of the brethren stands making accusations about our outward appearance, Jesus tells the Father how valuable we are on the inside because we are redeemed. Let's get back to the tabernacle because there's, there's, the band's going to come up in just a moment. And I, I need you to see this. The entire tabernacle, the compound itself, it was 75 feet wide and 150 feet long. If you were to take a football field, turn it sideways, and cut in thirds, it would be about the size of a third of a football field, give or take a few feet. It consisted of three areas of designated access, which, by the way, was similar to the the construction of Solomon's temple. There were just more chambers that were added around the outer perimeter, but the same concept, God's plan, comes into play here. There was the, the outer court. There was the inner court, and then after you walked through the inner court, you—if you were privileged, a high priest—you could go into what was called the Holy of Holies. The outer court was where the Israelites would bring their sacrifices to be offered for the atonement of their sins, in trying to make atonement for their sins and trying to get back in communion with, to stay in good grace with God. When you first entered into the compound. The first thing that you would see was the bronze altar or the brazen altar. Not to be disrespectful, but it looked a lot like a big, giant barbecue pit. And to be honest, that's what it kind of became. It was a big box. It was square, seven feet wide by seven feet wide by four and a half feet tall. Remember now an altar was a place of sacrifice. And we talked about sacrifice the first week of this series. And when you came to that place, you were bringing your sacrifice to offer it to the Lord. It was going to cost you something. That's what we talked about in the first week of the series. It's going to cost you something. And whether you were bringing little lamb chop or Betsy the cow, whatever sacrifice, your best that you were bringing, you were about to sacrifice that livestock signifying bringing your best to the Lord to make atonement for your sins that you had committed. So that you could find grace from God. Because you were not holy enough. So a price had to be paid. And that's where we find God's grace is there at the brazen altar. Because what, remember now what grace is. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's God's grace. Getting what you don't deserve. And through your sacrifice you just found forgiveness. You didn't deserve forgiveness but you found it anyway. Thank God for the altar. Amen. Because it's in the altar where we find forgiveness. And here at DCC, anywhere in this room could be an altar. It's anywhere where we want to see the the grace of God being poured out into our lives. We receive that freely. And the altar brings forgiveness. But there has to be more than that. Somebody say there has to be more. Oh, you're going to have to be interactive with me if you're going to get this today, okay? Say there has to be more. There has to be more than just grace. Grace is great. Listen, without grace, we're all dying and going to hell. But there has to be more. There are many people who simply stop at the altar. You see, they get relief, but they don't get deliverance. They they, they get forgiveness, but they don't get freedom. Some people, they lay down their burdens... Only to pick them back up again and struggle with that load as they try to walk out the Christian life. They've received grace because they've laid that issue, they've laid that sin at the feet of grace, getting what they don't deserve, but what they need to do is get that same issue to the throne of mercy. Because mercy is where your life is going to be forever changed. But so many Christians never end up seeing the mercy seat. We'll get there. Just stay with me. If we can get that same issue that we laid on the altar of grace, if we can get it to the throne, if we can get it to the mercy seat, lives will be changed because mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. And it takes grace and mercy together to live in the freedom of the presence of God. How many of you want to experience the presence of God in your life? Amen? If you want to experience the freedom of the presence of God in your life, then you have to be willing to to lay it on the altar of grace, and you have to be willing to pursue the mercy seat. Let let me put it like this. Let's say that you committed a crime and you were sentenced to prison. And in prison, you find God. You develop a relationship with Christ while you're in prison. You've been forgiven for your mistakes that landed you there. But there are still consequences that you must endure. So many people come to God looking for that quick fix. And, and, and salvation is, is a quick fix. You, you were a sinner. You're saved by grace. And now your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's, it's, it's that easy. You don't have to work for that at all. It's freely given to you. Salvation is not hard. It's easily accepted. But to find complete pardon from the consequences, you've got to find mercy. You've got to find mercy. In the eyes of God, you've got to find mercy. Mercy is when the governor picks up the phone and says, Hey, I know that you still have 10 more years to your sentence. But today, I'm signing your pardon. You're going home. In time for the holidays, Merry Christmas. That's mercy. And and you can't find the mercy of God just by making a sacrifice. Just coming to the brazen altar, just just saying, here, here. You, You can't find that mercy. You've got to press in and you've got to get closer to the mercy seat. The next area was called the inner court and it was only accessed by the priest's. The furniture designated for the inner court was was not made of bronze like the furniture in the outer court. It was made of gold because you're getting closer to God. You're getting closer to the presence of God. And the value of what you're experiencing is increasing. Because the closer you get to God, the closer you get to a king, the more valuable the experience becomes. The inner court was a more reverent and somewhat holy, often referred to in scripture as the holy place. It was there in the inner court where deep meditation by the priests and, and communion for the priests would take place. The third and final area was the holy of holies. The holy of holies contained the ark of the covenant complete with that, that special lid called the mercy seat. And this is where the scripture says that his presence would reside. There at the mercy seat. Leviticus 16 and 14 gives us some little insight of what happens there. And it says, And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. If you remember from your your New Testament... Uh, you'll You'll remember that the the veil or the the curtain blocked the way so that others could not enter in. and we, we find that in the Old Testament, but it's still true in the temple in the New Testament. But the minute that the Lord Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the veil was 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 ripped in two. Yeah signifying that no longer did we have to go to a priest to make atonement. No longer did we have to go to a priest to make our connection with God. When Christ died on that cross and that veil was ripped, now we all had full access into the presence of God. Not just your pastor, not just the staff, Not just your team leader. No, every single one of you, you now have access into the presence of God. Hebrews 9 and 12 says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption because of the price and because of the blood that Christ shed for us. Now we get full access to the presence of God. You see, the fire outside in the outer court, that fire was man made, but the the fire on the inside, it was a consuming fire and it was divine. That's why you could find mercy there because you could walk into the Holy of Holies and it was there where the consuming fire of God would just burn away all of the consequences and everything that's being held against your life. But God's desire, church, was never to live in a tent. God's desire was never to abide in a tent. God's desire from the beginning of humanity was to abide in humanity. Sin is what separated us from God. That was not his plan. That was not his desire. The tabernacle was temporary. Oh, they built a more permanent structure, according to God's plan. He allowed David's son Solomon to build the temple, same similar layout. but it was temporary. Christ even told us it was temporary. Christ prophesied that 70 years later, that the temple was going to be destroyed it was. We were designed to be the tabernacle and the temple of God for his presence to abide within us. I want the band to come on up and and, and get ready because now I want to take you on a worship experience. And you'll only get out of this what you're willing to put into it. God designed Us, humanity, in three realms. To worship God in spirit and in truth, all three of these realms must be engaged. You are body, mind, and spirit. It's how God created us. And it's not by coincidence. God didn't design us after the tabernacle. He designed the tabernacle after us. He didn't design the temple or us after the temple. He designed the temple after us. It's how he created us. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body that word soul there, by the way, in the Greek, it's where we get the word psyche from, the mind. May your whole spirit, and soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how to stay blameless before a holy God. It's learning to worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and we can worship God on three different levels. We can worship God with our body. We can worship God with our mind, and we can worship God with our spirit. To enter into the holy of holies, you must be willing to submit at all three levels. This I've said all of this today to get you to this point right here. The outer court is our flesh. It's why we sing songs at the beginning of service most of the time that require us to clap. It's why some of us raise our hands and why a few of us might actually get a little little dance going. 20 years ago, God taught me that Rocky if you want to experience my presence the first thing you have to do is get your flesh under submission how do we do that it's not always comfortable but in order to worship him in spirit and in truth the outer court the flesh it has to come under submission And we create an atmosphere for that almost weekly. To press through the outer court. You've got to be willing to submit your flesh. And worship to him. Which brings us to the inner court. The soul, psyche, the mind. It's why we sing songs. That contain so many lyrics and such sound doctrine. I promise you this. If there's something that is so far off that... that we can't reconcile it with the word of God, we won't sing it. We start singing songs that causes us to have to look at a screen because there's words involved. It brings our mind under submission. And let me take it a step farther than this. If you really want to bring your mind under submission and worship to your Heavenly Father, think about what you're singing. When the lyric comes up, just don't say it because everyone, does, and I know what some of us do, we watermelon our way through a song. I promise you, I could stand on this stage with this praise team today and, and I could stand here with all the vocalists with a mic in my hand and I could say watermelon through the whole thing with just my lips not no words coming out just And you'd think I was singing with them Some of you watermelon your way through through some of these these songs that contain the words you need to think about what you're saying you need to look at the screen and say I'm singing those words right now to a holy God bringing my mind under submission I love the way David said it Psalm 84 and 2 He says My soul longs Yes, faints For the courts of the Lord My heart and flesh Sing for joy To the living God We'll get to the Holy of Holies In just a moment I told you I was taking you On a worship experience today I want to encourage you For the next few moments To engage your flesh don't be afraid to move don't be afraid to raise your hands you're not trying to impress anyone around you there's an audience of one that we're singing to I'm encouraging you to engage your flesh look at the lyrics engage your mind mean what you're reading and saying and singing As we as a church body walk through the tabernacle, through the outer court, into the inner court, heading towards his presence, and we'll get there in just a moment. I want you to stand with me all over this room. Would you raise your hands to heaven right now? Would you just pray this simple prayer with me just in your own way? Just say, Lord, I submit my flesh to you. I submit my mind to you. Oh, to be in your presence, Lord, that's the goal. That's where I wanna go right now. I wanna go to your presence. So I submit my flesh and my mind as I walk through the outer court, walk through the inner court, Stay in that frame of mind church, stay there. Stay standing. Stay standing. We're not done. We're not done. It's only after you have engaged your flesh and you have engaged your mind that you get to enter into the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God is tangible. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place where you felt his presence? some people don't like modern worship because they don't like the repetitiveness of it they don't like that we keep singing the same words over and over and over but what they don't realize is that it's very intentional let me show you what I'm talking about church because I I think some of you your mind will expand when you realize how intentional it is because there comes a moment when you're standing in the presence of a holy God that you don't need to worry about the lyrics. You can care less on whether or not you're looking at a hymn book or a piece of paper or or a screen that has the lyrics on it. You don't need that. In that moment, when you're in the presence of a holy God, you shouldn't have to study the words because there's a humility that comes with it And, and often with humility, less is more. The less you say is more. And for those people who are critics of modern worship, let me remind you of Revelation chapter 4 and 8, what's happening in heaven. And I I saw the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within the day and and day and night. They never cease to say, listen to what they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they've just got it on repeat. That's all they say. Because when, excuse me, when you're in the presence of a holy God, you're not trying to think of the doctrine behind the song. It's not time to look at the lyrics and and get so confused by where are we heading? Are we going back to the verse or the chorus? Are we going to the bridge? No, it's just holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come holy, holy, holy? Is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. and that's how it is in the throne room of heaven? They just have that repeating over and over and over. A few years ago, I was at a mega church in Colorado Springs. You've heard some of the stories from that. Pastor Andrew and I traveled out there for a few days to meet with some of their pastoral staff on on some programming that eventually you'll see here at our church. COVID messed all that up, but that's not what this is about. Pastor Andrew flew home to preach here in Newberry on that Sunday so that I could stay out there and experience their worship service. Mega church, two, two services, thousands of people. And one of the pastoral staff members asked me if I wanted to go back to a room and pray with the pastoral staff. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I do. Let's do this." Yeah. And I walked into a room where there was probably 25 to 30 pastoral staff members. And I remember us I standing in this circle and somebody leads us in prayer and then the leader of the group he said why don't you break off in groups of two or three and he said y'all pray for each other so me and one of the guys that I'd already met he was he was kind knowing that I was the new guy in the room he came to me and he introduces me to the guy standing next to me his name was Pete and they began asking me how can we pray for you I said well we're entering into a building project and apparently their prayers stale but, but they said let us let us pray for you and it was about halfway through the prayer when I realized it's Pete Sanchez the guy standing next to me, the guy praying for me is Pete Sanchez. It's the Pete Sanchez. I don't mean to worship anybody, but it was the Pete Sanchez. You have no idea who Pete Sanchez is. Dr. Pete Sanchez. Now, what some of you don't know, <clears throat> because our music's so much better now, but at times I have been a worship leader. I play keyboard. And for years, I led our church in worship, and, and I grew up around music. So, do you know how many times I've looked in the songbook and saw the author's name, Pete Sanchez, that wrote, I exalt thee? And I'm standing there holding hands with Pete Sanchez, and he's praying for us and for this building. And it was an awe moment for me. There are songs, old and new, that are intentionally designed to be repetitive, resembling the throne room of heaven that when you stand in the presence of God, You don't need to think about what the next words are going to be. You just lose yourself in that moment, and you just say, I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. And So we've got our flesh under submission, amen? We've got our mind under submission, amen? Would you walk with me into the Holy of Holies? And let's exalt the one, the only one, who is worthy of our praise. Would you sing it? to Him. I, I, so I, I
1: exalt you. I-
0: and mercy. creator of all. Laid out a blueprint for worship. But so many people stopped short. Our God is faithful. every place he designed for us to meet him at he's always there I don't like to be late and I don't like for somebody to stand me up I don't have to worry about that with my God and I thank God that he has more grace than I do Because even with me I know sometimes I'm late to the party and he says no whenever you get ready Rocky when you're ready to walk through that outer court and get your flesh under submission when you're ready to get your mind that inner court your psyche when you're ready to get that focused on me I'll meet you in the Holy of Holies. And it's there where you'll find my presence in the mercy seat. Church, I'm not just telling you this. There's some of you that have consequences with your life. And the more time you spend in the Holy of Holies with the mercy seat, Mercy that God will pour out. Thank you, Lord. You know the enemy tried to block this moment. Half of this team had to be quarantined last week because of COVID. Just as Satan rebelled against God and God said, listen, Lucifer, if you won't worship me, I'll create a remnant of people who will. And I'll put the same instruments I put within you, I'll put it within them. And they will clap their hands and they will lift their voices and they will shout under God with a voice of triumph. I will have a people who worship me. Thank you, God, for your presence here. We exalt you, Lord. We exalt you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.